I'm going to invite you to, uh, to join me. We're going to be reading in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 19, beginning with verse 16. Again, that is the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 19, beginning with verse 16. Then someone came to Jesus and said, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. Remember, Phil Maynard mentioned this uh, last Sunday. If you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? <laughs> and Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. Also, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, I have kept all of these. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you wish to be perfect, Another translation is, if you wish to be complete, if you want to be whole. I can find my place here. <laughs> Jesus said to him, if you wish to be perfect or complete, go sell your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this word, he went away grieving, for he had many possessions. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it will be hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astounded and said, Then who can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, For mortals it is impossible, but for God all things are possible. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I want to welcome you again. We're starting a brand new series today called Defying Gravity. And the message today is called Discovering Financial Gravity. And I want to start with, uh, with a quote uh, that circulated on Twitter and Facebook for a long time on January the 4th, 2015. And we're going to have that on the screen next. Uh, it claimed to be uh, from NASA, and it says this, January 4th, 9.47 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, the long-awaited planetary alignment will cause a gravitational fluctuation that will leave you weightless for a short period of time. Hashtag be ready. <laughs> the story was that a British astronomer, Patrick Moore, predicted that on that morning an extraordinary astronomical event would occur. At exactly 9.47 a.m., the planet Pluto would pass behind Jupiter in relation to the Earth, and that this rare alignment would mean that the combined gravitational force of the two planets would exert a stronger upward gravitational pull, 
temporarily counteracting Earth's own gravity and making people weigh less. That might have been a good time to get on the scale, right? The story added that people could experience the phenomenon by jumping in the air at the precise moment that the alignment occurred. More promised that if they did so, they would experience a strange floating sensation. People all over the world launched themselves into the air at 9.47 a.m. And what do you think happened? They discovered that they could not escape the gravitational pull of the Earth, that this was actually a hoax. Ever since Sir Isaac Newton identified what made apples fall to the ground, we have known that gravity is a consistent and unfailing force. And today, I want to help you see that there is another force that is working around us all the time, something that we can feel. Just as gravity exists in the natural world, financial gravity exists in the economic world in which we live today. Financial gravity is generated by the culture and economy in which we live, and like Earth's gravity, it is necessary for our existence. So financial gravity in and of itself is not a bad thing. It's necessary for our existence. Why? Because human beings, all of us need certain things, such as food and shelter and clothing. And like hunters and gatherers of old, we must procure these things for ourselves and those that we love. And there is a certain weight that we feel in this. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Problems with financial gravity arise when that force or that weight is felt with such intensity that it begins to control us. You notice financial gravity when you go to your Facebook page and you see a bunch of ads for the very things that you did a Google search for 10 minutes ago. It's kind of creepy, isn't it? <laughs> You feel it when you walk down the street of a shopping strip with its mixture of retail stores, specialty shops, movies, and restaurants. When passing by a shopping mall, I know some people who feel the pull to go inside and to look for sales. Won't say who, you might be able to figure it out. The impact of financial gravity can be measured when you examine your bank account, noting that the balance is lower than you had hoped for, or looking at your credit card statement and seeing that it is higher than you would like. And the key, the key to financial gravity is to experience this force in just the right measure, in just the right proportion. And I want to demonstrate that by showing you a video uh, this morning that is called Harness.
Friends, all of us feel the weight and the force of our needs. These are normal things in life. As an adult, you must figure out the income that can provide for those needs. Needs are like the weights that are stacked on this training sled. Again, a short list would include things like food, shelter, clothing, things that allow you to work and live, such as transportation and communication. The problem is that we live in a society that constantly tells us that we will be better off if we have more and better things. Soon, we move beyond our needs into the zone of wants. And for most people, this list of wants is never short. You guys know what I'm talking about? I, I paid off my Hyundai Elantra, and the day that I paid it off, I felt the gravitational pull to go out and buy a new truck. Right? I didn't do it, fortunately, but I felt that pull. Some of us want a newer car and a better model. We want a faster computer, and the computer techies tell us we need to buy a new computer every three to five years. Right? We want a bigger home, a flatter TV, a designer dress or a suit, or even a brand new surfboard. <laughs> and as we add these things to our lives, we can feel the added force of financial gravity holding us down. What we hoped would bring us freedom brings us exhaustion. Like the man in the video, we are harnessed to our possession in ways that just wear us out. But there is another extreme. The other extreme is when we have too little financial gravity in our lives, and then our world gets out of control. Expenses are accrued with no sense of connection to income. College students are a great example of this. I know uh, it happened to me when I was in college. College students don't know the difference between spending money and managing money and are often calling home for a checking account refill. Has anybody had college students that have done this. The students are floating in space without enough financial gravity to hold them down or back. This is one reason why I actively participated in a campaign at Vanderbilt University to pass a rule that credit card companies could not put credit card applications in student mailboxes. Because what they were doing is they were flooding the mailboxes and they were giving college students a very easy credit line that was probably too high for them. Their parents didn't know about it. And then they would go and get an enormous amount of debt, and then they would have to call home and ask their parents to bail them out. And the reason why that was a problem is because these students had too little financial gravity. But if we're honest, we know that financial gravity is especially strong here in the United States. The marketing culture is so well-developed that its message for more and better is omnipresent. You can't go anywhere 
without hearing that message. While marketing has gone up, the once esteemed value of frugality has gone down. And even the word frugal itself seems to be old-fashioned, pointing back to people in the 1920s and 30s who lived in the wake of the Great Depression. The combination of increased marketing and decreased frugality can form a black hole of consumerism where the force of financial gravity is so great that it threatens to entirely swallow us up. We are promised happiness, freedom, joy, and comfort. But for too many, the outcome of financial gravity is far different. Just listen to how some people describe their lives. We use terms such as house poor, car poor, possession poor, or cash poor. All of these words we use to describe our existence. Our complicated relationship with money and possessions is not a new problem. As we read in Matthew 19 this morning, beginning with verse 16, a young man approached Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to have eternal life? Here we have a good man who is attempting to live a devout life. He loved God, yet he must have detected the pull of other forces that made it difficult for him to fully live out his faith. He came to Jesus as a seeker, hoping for wisdom and direction. Jesus told him to keep the commandments, and as Jesus reviewed the specific requirements of the law, you could almost hear the sound of check marks going off in the guy's brain. The young man replied, I've kept all of these which is a pretty bold statement in my opinion. <laughs> I've kept all of these. What am I still missing, Jesus? Now here's the thing about Jesus. He knows what you're missing before you ask. So if you ask him what you're still missing, you must be prepared for the answer he is going to give you. The answer is going to be very particular to the person who is asking. And to this young man, Jesus said, if you want to be complete, if you want to be whole, you want to be free, then go, sell what you own, and give the money to the poor. Then you will have treasure in heaven. The next part is really important, and it wasn't until preparing for this message that I got the weight of this next very simple sentence. And come follow me. Not just sell all that you have and give it to the poor, but do that, and then come and follow me. And when you think about it, Jesus was offering this man a once-in-a-lifetime offer. This young man was being offered the slot of the 13th disciple. 
he could have heard Jesus teach every day. He could have been there to participate in the miracles. He could have helped to form the early church. Think for a moment the impact that this man might have had had he did what Jesus instructed. He could have learned to love people deeply. He could have maybe even written another gospel and given us a fifth view of Jesus. Who knows? As Peter shared Christ in Israel and Paul in Asia Minor in Europe, this young man could have possibly gone to Egypt or Asia and changed history forever. But instead, all we know about him is that he could not change his relationship to money. It says, But when the young man heard this, he went away grieving because he had many possessions. But hearing Jesus' terms for this once-in-a-lifetime offer, he went away. He went away. We have to ask, why on earth would this man walk away from Jesus. He was obviously serious about living a godly life, and he knew that Jesus could help him go even deeper. So what would make him walk away? It's important to note the young man's emotional state when he declined Jesus' offer. Again, the Bible translation that we read says that he went away grieving. He was sad to leave Jesus. And this gives us a glimpse into the man's inner life. He was torn between two worlds. He was deeply conflicted. On the one hand, he wanted to do something new in life, to go with Jesus and to learn how to give himself fully to God. He wanted to experience deeper righteousness. But, for some reason, he could not bear to sell out. He knew that he was tearing up the winning ticket to the lottery of discipleship, and he went away, and he wept as financial gravity pulled him back into the slavery of the old world. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I assure you that it will be very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. In fact, it's easier for a camel to squeeze through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter God's kingdom. Jesus points out that we have a choice between two worlds where we can live. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of self. The kingdom of God, I'm sorry, the, the kingdom of self is the world that we see and touch every day. It's the world that you, in many ways, have created that includes your family and friends, your work and hobbies, your home and possessions, and your abilities and interests. You manage 
this world. And that is a good thing, especially if you have a family because your family is depending on you to do so. Some people call this your sphere of influence. God has made us to enjoy life and to influence the world. And you shouldn't necessarily feel guilty because you enjoy nice things. But the problem, my friends, is that we lose perspective, don't we? Have you ever lost perspective like this? Say amen if you've ever lost perspective. We often think that our world is the world. I want to say that again. We often think that our world, the world that we create and manage, is the world, the entire world. You know this is happening when you hear yourself use the word deserve. We say, I know it's expensive, but I work really hard and I feel like I deserve it. Or, you do such a good job, you deserve to enjoy a little more. I have a friend that I love to death, and um, Emma always gets stressed out when I hang out with him because he'll say things like, Mark, you guys work hard. You deserve to go to Catalyst and buy another surfboard. You deserve it, right? You need to have some fun every once in a while, man. Notice that people often use royal terms when, descri- when describing the kingdom of self. She's such a princess. Or, well, here comes the young prince. Most of us protect the boundaries of our realm fiercely. We can be very self-focused. The reason is that royals in the kingdom of self are innately self-interested. We do not want to lose the power or the trappings of our reign. This is the space where financial gravity is felt most immensely. Notice that Jesus said it's hard, it's hard to enter the kingdom of God when we feel financial gravity as strongly as this young man did. Why did he say this? Gravity is a force that pulls all matter together. And this this was so interesting to me. Um, when I read this in preparation. So I just want you to kind of capture the, the analogy here. The more matter something has, the more gravity. The sun has such huge mass that it can hold an entire solar system together. Money and possessions have their own mass as well. They pull us in. And the more mass they have... The more that we accumulate, the more we experience the gravity, the pull, the weight that comes from their mass. And this is why serious Christians who are wealthy are often the most disciplined about giving and doing good. Because they understand that if they do not manage their money, their money will very quickly come to control them enslave them. Jesus said it's hard for people to escape financial gravity and to move into God's kingdom, but he didn't say that it's impossible, and that's good news this morning. In fact, he later added, all things are possible for God. So Jesus understands these dynamics. 
for both the young man in the Scripture passage and for us today. And make no mistake, friends, living in the United States, you are wealthy compared to most people in the world. And if you don't believe me, then go on the next trip that I take to El Salvador for the surfing mission trip, and you will see poverty like you've probably never seen before unless you've visited a third world country. Defying financial gravity is the one thing needed to accomplish the goal of loving God completely, according to what Jesus said. The good news is that Jesus offers us a way to enter the gravitational field of God's kingdom. Because just as money and possessions can weigh us down, they can also be part of what sets us free so we don't labor under the burden of the weight we have accumulated. And so today, I want to invite you to undertake an experiment an experiment to see how you experience gravity in your own life. Because I want you, I'm going to give you, a, I'm going to give you some homework today. I really want you to go home and do it. And as you do it, I want you to reflect on how is this making me feel? And if you get a chance, I want you to jot it down. And we're going to talk about it a little bit next week. I also want to invite you to attend church the remaining three Sundays in this series. So here's your homework, friends. I can get back into my iPad here. I want you to clean out a drawer, a closet, a room, or some area in your home this week. And again, I want you to reflect on how you're feeling as you're cleaning this area out. Note the ease or the difficulty of discarding things that you will no longer use, and let that tell you a little bit about the amount of financial gravity that you're experiencing. Set these unneeded items aside. If they're junk, throw them away. We have a junk drawer. I'm hoping to clean that drawer out in another room. If it's junk, throw it away. But if it's not junk, if it's something that someone else can use that you don't need, if you've got five coats in your, in your closet, maybe you could give one away to someone who's going to be cold uh, in, in the upcoming months. But if, it, if it's something that others can need that you don't need, set them aside. And then next week, I want to talk a little bit about what we might do with those items. So don't donate them yet. Set, clean out the drawer, the space, or whatever, and set it aside.